You're listening to the Driving Confidence Podcast for drivers who want to be calm and confident on the road. We will be sharing tips, stories and advice to beat driving nerves and anxiety and build your driving confidence. Whether you are just starting out as a learner or have had your driving license for years, if you want to transform how you feel about driving, this podcast is for you. In today's episode, we are delighted to have on award-winning author and social science researcher, Carla McLaren. And Carla is an expert in emotions and emotional language. So, Carla, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much, Kevin Tracy. It's so good to be here and to talk about this really these really important emotions, anxiety, panic, fear, nervousness. Yeah. Because they have a lot to tell us, but sometimes it feels like they're annoying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And for our listeners, the reason we got in touch with you is the majority of our listeners are nervous or anxious drivers. Mm-hmm. And we hear the same emotion words used all the time, which are nerves, anxiety and stress. And we're beginning to try and encourage people to expand their vocabulary and to use different emotion words. But we just couldn't explain in a really articulate way why that would benefit them. And that's why we were looking for an expert and we found you. And there is so much information on your website. And so as soon as we saw it, we were like, yes, we need Carla to come and talk about it. So here you are. (laughs) Thank you so much. And, you know, you're saying there's been a lot of research done in the last 10 or 15 years that shows that having a larger emotional vocabulary all by itself can help people regulate their emotions. That is pretty simple, right? Just instead of saying, I feel stressed, you can say, I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety and perhaps some fear. And okay, I'm feeling panic. I'm also feeling angry. Do you know what I mean? So instead of using sort of a word that weasels its way around what you're feeling, become very, very specific and just saying those words. It's very strange, but just saying those words to yourself and articulating to yourself what you're feeling helps your whole organism sort of go, oh, it's an emotion. I'm not having a heart attack right now. It's an emotion. So you can, you know, and then as you start to understand the emotions more, you could say, oh, so fear means my intuition and instincts are heightened and anger means I need to set a boundary somehow. And panic means I may be in danger, right? I sort of see it as if you've ever gone into the cockpit of a plane or a jet and you see all these buttons and you think, no one could ever learn this. It's impossible. <laughs> We're going to die. And but uh, you know, if you've learned to fly, you know that eventually you know what everything means, and then you can fly the plane. But when you first look at it, it's completely overwhelming. So that can be how emotions feel to people. But nope, there's too many of them. Many of them are dangerous. I don't want to touch that button. <laughs> I quite like that. It's we have that image that everybody has of that jet plane or that jumbo jet with how many buttons and dials there is it's very similar to someone starting to drive there feels so much to do isn't it yes i i remember i was thinking about when i learned to drive and the big thing was getting on the freeway are they called freeways there it's the um, fast one 
It's the motorways. Yeah, the motorways, yes. So you're just fine on the streets, and then you have to get on the motorway. And I remember screaming. I remember just, like, putting on my turn signal and screaming as I got on, hoping that everybody would know that I was coming. (laughs) And now sort of I can just get on the freeway, you know, just get on. And uh, if people are in my way, I'm like, come on, pal. I'm actually able to be angry instead of just squealing. <laughs> now, I like you called the word stress. You described it as a weasel word. Tell <laughs> <laughs> yes. me about that. I love that. <laughs> it's a way to sort of not say I'm feeling emotions. So there's a lot of ways where people try to get, sort of get away from their emotional vocabulary. And you'll say, well, how are you feeling? Bad. You're like, well, yep. that could be anything. Um, stressed. That could be anything. And so, you know, becoming more articulate about what do you mean bad? What bad how? Well, I think I'm feeling depressed. Okay, so depression does this. So what do you want to do about it instead of just bad? If your vocabulary is full of inarticulate weasel words, then your emotional awareness is going to be inarticulate as well. And for instance, when you're driving and you just need to scream to get on the motorway, you just need to scream. (laughs) You may experience those emotions if you don't know what they are. And I didn't when I was younger. You may experience them as that they're feeling abusive toward you, right? Why, Why would that help me drive to feel so many emotions that I need to scream? And it turns out because my body was telling me this is dangerous. This is not the place where people are getting onto the motorway. That's where a lot of accidents happen, especially if someone like me doesn't know you're supposed to get up to the speed of the motorway. We have a thing here. There, there are lights that stop you before you get on the motorway when there's traffic. So you have to go from zero to 60 miles an hour. I don't know what that is in kilometers, but I've got an old car. My car is from 2006. It doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't scream at this point. I'm like, you guys, I this is an older car, okay? <laughs> You're just going to have to make room for me. But Yeah, I need know, some grace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how would that be? But it's difficult, right? It's not safe to be in a car that cannot make it onto the motorway appropriately. So those emotions are necessary. They're telling me the truth. They're not lying. I described those words. So the word you used, weasel word, and I love that. I'm going to start using that. I think I've always called them like umbrella terms, those sorts of coverall type words. Like you say, they mean nothing. And... Everybody agrees and sort of says, oh, yes, I'm feeling stressed as well. So it's almost like a a sort of lazy shorthand that doesn't really get to the bottom of what somebody's feeling or what they're experiencing. So, yeah, weasel words. I'm I'm going to use that. You're going to hear that in future podcast episodes. (laughs) Now, I call them weasel words because it's just funny. It makes me laugh. But what I realized is people may not have the vocabulary that they need. So they're not weaseling out of something that they know. They literally don't have the words. So what I'm calling them now, and it's much more boring, is alternative emotional vocabulary. Weasel words is funnier. (laughs) (laughs) Weasel words makes me laugh. But 
weaseling here, at least in the United States, if you weasel out of something, you're kind yeah. of cheating, right? Yeah. You're cheating. So we can talk about them as weasel words, but yeah, I like umbrella. I like umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Word swapping. <laughs> okay, word swapping. Those are sort of emotional <laughs> umbrella words. Could be anything. <laughs> so let's talk about some of those alternatives then. So if somebody is, I mean, nervous, nerves and nervous. Anxious. Anxious. The, the three main ones, aren't yeah. they? You know, the, the, I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling stressed. You have a wonderful vocabulary list on your website, which is free for anybody to find. So I highly recommend the listeners, the links for that will be in the show notes to go and find mm -hmm. this vocabulary list. But Carla, can you give some examples? Because you break them down into different levels, don't you? So mm -hmm. how intense an emotion yeah. might be and some alternative words for anxiety or nerves. Yeah. And I would say nervous is one of the words that we would use. I mean, it, it is a valuable vocabulary word and anxious as well. When people are feeling nervous and anxious, generally there are two or three emotions present. They are fear, which is your awareness of the present moment, anxiety, which is your awareness of the future and anything you have to do to prepare for the future. Anxiety tends to be a, a forward-leaning emotion with a lot of energy in it because there's a lot to do to get ready. Your anxiety will generally move in response to what needs to be done. So if you've got a ton of tasks that are not finished, you can expect to have more anxiety. You know, And if you've got a deadline that's coming right up to you, expect to have more anxiety, right? So anxiety is a very kind of forward-leaning energetic emotion, which can destabilize you if you don't realize, right? That much energy and that much forward leaning, it, it, right, it topples you. It can topple you. The third emotion that's there is panic. And panic is a marvelous life-saving emotion that is necessary, especially in a situation such as driving, where literally you are in danger, Right? We can do whatever we can to make ourselves safer drive, but we can't control everything. And mm. so if you don't know that your anxiety is trying to look out however many meters ahead of you and when you get to the place and this is going to be a difficult interchange and oops, my tires may not be appropriately <laughs> inflated. Uh, do I have enough petrol? Do you know you want to know all that before you go? Panic is also there because there is a danger to your life when you're driving. It's real, right? And so panic has the fight, flee, freeze, or flock to safety behaviors in it. So when you're driving, you can expect fear, which is the present moment, anxiety, which is out in the future, and panic to be there, right? So being a nervous or anxious driver is a little bit more honest than most people who say, oh, driving is nothing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Driving's nothing. <laughs> or people, I don't know if you've seen this where you are, but I see people in cars reading a book. <laughs> like, okay, okay, I'm getting away from you. I'm like, all right, I'm driving around you and go. <laughs> I've seen people, I've seen women putting on mascara. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that does it's happen okay. here sometimes as well. I All think. right. Yeah. That's hard to do when you're not moving. That's <laughs> yeah. absurd. That's absurd. So I that's struggle, person... I must admit. I definitely struggle. <laughs> I definitely struggle. You can poke your eye out. Okay. So that's a person who's not listening to fear, anxiety, or panic. We don't yes. want to be anywhere near that person. Right? We want to... I'll slow down. I'm like, you go, you go be yourself. I don't want you anywhere near my car. <laughs> so yeah, there's so many different levels of awareness of the danger of driving, right? And these three emotions are crucial for you to be a good driver. And the reason it's important to start kind of articulating between, is this about the present moment? That's fear. Is it about my preparation for what's coming? That's anxiety. Is it about saving my life? That's panic. Then I become more able to understand the differences between them instead of having all three of unarticulated my entire organism, right? And so if I have a lot of anxiety before a drive, then I'm going to check my tires. I'm going to do what anxiety asked me to do, which is to prepare. Hmm. I'm going to check my tires and my windscreen and this and that. And if I feel my panic come up while I'm driving, I can ask, am I in danger right now? And then, no, no. I said, well, thank you, panic. Instead of shut up, panic, you're a liar. I would say, thank you, panic. <laughs> thank you, panic. Now, um, you can step back and then let's continue driving. But for a lot of people, these three emotions feel like abuse, right? They yeah. feel like I'm being overwhelmed. I'm being abused by my own emotions. And they're just trying to help. But sometimes, if we're not aware of what's going on, it can feel like they're ganging up on us. And that they don't mean us well, if that makes sense, but they really do. So listening to it, I was, I was driving down. We have a lot of uh, two-lane country roads near where I live, and there's no barrier in between them. There's just a little lines on the road. And I was driving and thinking how amazing it is that more people don't crash into each other, <laughs> right? How amazing is it? What are we, maybe a meter apart on these roads? Going fast. <laughs> we're going very, very fast and we're somehow missing each other. So there's this sort of community agreement with driver that we are going to behave. We're going to stay on our side of the road unless someone's reading or applying difficult makeup or under the influence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty much a miracle that we all get to where we're going. <laughs> It's amazing. It so much relies on the agreements between all the drivers to behave. It's the way we act, isn't it? And I love the way you you was thanking the panic. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we've done this lots of when I'm when I'm training people to drive. Thank you for not hitting that speed bump. That's what the car yeah. would tell you. It's like thank you. Yeah. And it's like oh, I've never been thanked before like that. And it, again, people are looking at me as if I'm what's happening but then they start <laughs> picking up on that and they start thanking themselves for you know a smooth gear change or whatever it may be and it's like yeah i don't know whether or not you are quietening down that panic that fear when you say that would you yeah. say that is that what you're doing you're trying to quieten it down or is it just being aware that it's there and at this moment i'm okay yeah and i think get into a relationship with it yeah. Because if something's coming at you at high speed, you need your panic right Im immediately available, 
right? Come out, panic, let's play. <laughs> because now you <laughs> do your thing because I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm, we've all had this situations where something really dangerous was going to happen and somehow we got away, right? Somehow we got, we returned, we did something that you couldn't possibly think of. You couldn't think, I am going to turn the wheel at this velocity and I am going to do this. You just do it and that's panic. You say, whew, thank you, panic. <laughs> Nicely done. But a lot of people don't even know that it is panic, that that's its job. So yeah, to say, thank you, panic. I don't think this is that kind of an evening, right? So just chill a little bit. You know, I'm always, I'm always available to have you come out when it's time, but I don't know if this is time. Right. So it's sort of getting that kind of friendly, friendly communication with your emotions. That becomes useful, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what is. That's the bit that I've just is picked up, and then it becomes a useful emotion. Yeah. Many people are trying to. What they're trying to do, and the reason they they come for help, is because they want to get rid of these emotions. They want to be able to drive mm -hmm. without them. And actually, they're not really scared of driving. What they're scared of is experiencing the fear, the panic, the yeah. anxiety. So they become scared of having the emotion. Yeah, It's not really the driving that they're scared of. It's mm -hmm. the emotion that they're scared of. So that trying to switch that round and saying, actually, these emotions have a job and they're telling me something and they can help me. And the way you described that about having the panic and anxiety about all the things you've got to do going forward with driving and a little bit of fear in there as well and breaking it down and understanding it feels much more manageable. Yeah. And it's, you're never going to get away from emotions. And I could say that that person who's reading in his car and the person who's putting on difficult makeup, they are not listening to their emotions, right? No. They are not safe drivers. They're going to endanger themselves and me. And I am not supportive of that. <laughs> that makes me yeah. angry. I'm going to set a boundary around that. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in here to let you know about our Drive Calm journal. We've created a 12-week prompt journal to support our listeners to take action and improve driving confidence. The journal includes questions, prompts and exercises to create an action plan and an opportunity for reflection afterwards. Search Drive Calm on Amazon to take a look. We hope it helps. I was also thinking as you were talking about thanking the car for not going over the speed bump, you know, because that's jarring. But when we get into a car, our bodies sort of expand. Our body schema expands to the, like we feel what's on the road as if we felt it with our bodies. And so your entire sort of organism has now got a bigger body, a bigger body with metal parts and rubber parts and plastic parts that now you have to really keep an eye out for. I don't know if you've ever been in a rental car and had the experience of not knowing what the heck is going on. Where's the mirror? Like your, your entire body <laughs> schema falls apart. <laughs> and you're pressing the button and you don't know how big the car is, right? And I've actually scraped a car that was much, much bigger than mine. Luckily, I scraped it on a, a rubber bumper. I was like, yep. okay. <laughs> so I didn't hurt it, but I didn't have any like, awareness of how big this car was. And so I wasn't safe. Right. Yeah. 
And so my panic and anxiety were quite up and my fear were quite up trying to help me now kind of remodel myself around this entirely different big body that I now had. I was just talking to someone who had a, a mobile home with something up on the top that was like an air conditioner. And she drove into a car park with absolutely no awareness of how tall she was. That's a couple of thousand dollars right there. She wasn't a bad driver, but she had no concept of how tall her, her new body was. Right. And it took the air conditioner right off the top. Oops. I mean, it's so embarrassing. It's mortifying, but she didn't have any concept of the, the height of her vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. That's true. You do sort of become one bigger. with your car, and yeah. you do become bigger, and you do you do feel those little scrapes as well, don't you? Like even if it's on a rubber bumper, you're still sort of like, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or Definitely. if you've ever sadly driven over a little animal who darted out in the road, you can feel it. You know, yeah. you feel it. And you know, you have just as if you had stepped on the animal with your bare feet. So there's a lot going on in the car and we need these emotions to come out and help us because it is, it is an unnatural behavior to drive, right? There's, yeah, it's unnatural. And, and, you know, we get to the place where like, ha ha ha, I listen to the radio, do this, do that. I'm talking on the phone. Yeah, it's unnatural that you're doing that. <laughs> yeah, and I love that idea that people who do experience their emotions related to doing something that's a bit more unnatural, like you say, they're the ones who have been a bit more honest about yeah. the experience of driving and potentially are the people who are paying more attention and are going to be safer on the road because of that. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree. And they'll make it safer for others. Yeah. Right? They will be, there'll be a positive effect on the road instead of just someone who's sort of cattywampus and well, I'm going to drive my car, whatever. I don't want to be around those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. It's like trying to think of, you know, you're one with the car. And then I suppose that, you know, you have your emotions there, but then that, does your behavior then change because of that if you are at one with the car and you are, I'm going to say, able to manage those emotions? They're yeah. still there. You, you can't, you know, forget them, yeah. but they're still there. But then would that behavior change on the road, would you say? I think it does because now that I know the car and uh, I've kind of uploaded it into, I know where all the bits are. Now my anxiety doesn't have to do quite so much because I'm not in an unfamiliar situation. I'm familiar with it. Sort of like the first time you ride a bike, you're a mess. And, you know, then you can ride with no hands, you know, after a while. It's, it's like that. You become, you feel safer because you are safer. You know more and you have a connection with your car that, that is reliable. Yeah. Yeah. And you've ticked off the task list that was creating the anxiety. So you've mm-hmm. you, you've done what anxiety has asked you to do. You've done what's yeah. required. You've ticked off the list. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How yeah. about shame? Now, 
I know that sounds a bit of a strange one, and it was a, it was a bit of a surprise to me when we first started working one to one with nervous and anxious drivers. This word of shame came up again and again and again, and it was quite a shock for me that so many people who have passed the driving test then go on to experience shame because they avoid driving or they don't drive or they are dependent on other people. And then also people who have failed their driving test multiple times mm-hmm. also talk a lot about shame, the shame of not being able to pass their test and get their driving license. Mm-hmm. So is shame trying to tell people something? Shame is a difficult one because most of us learned about shame by being shamed. Right? That's very different than a shame that comes from you. And basically what shame does, it's a behavioral guideline emotion. So shame tells you how to behave. It follows your agreements for what is important to you. So if what is important to you is to be kind to people, and you're kind to people, your own shame should not come up very often because you're doing what you said you would. But if you're having a rotten day and you just snap at someone, your shame should come up and say, hold on, excuse me, what? Because that was not our agreement, right? And you should feel normally ashamed and apologize and promise not to do it again and make your amends and go on. Without shame, I think we know there's a word uh, shameless in English. We know that we don't want to be anywhere near a shameless person because they have no behavioral guidelines. They're like a pinball spinning around the world and and they could hit you at any moment, right? The problem with shame is when the agreements that we've taken on are impossible. We cannot live up to them. So for instance, you should pass your driving test on the first go, right? Even children can do it, right? And you could tell yourself all this stuff and then you don't do it. Now you're going to feel all this shaming message come when it turns out you couldn't live up to that shaming message. That wasn't possible. And it's not even realistic. A lot of people do not pass their first test. Those are difficult tests. Those are super, I'm going to use a weasel word, stress. Those are stress (laughs) tests, right? They're just really intense. And you're not only having a test, but you're having a test where you're bodies involved and your and your skills are involved and someone's watching you with a our people had clipboards they had clipboards that is yep. not i don't want you as my passenger in the car get out <laughs> get out of my car right it's so bad and so if the rule inside is i must pass the first time then there's no way to rise above it you have failed you've failed this rule that you made for yourself or someone gave to you. And so what we do in this work is to help to find what shaming messages we've picked up and whether they're even worth having. There's a lot of shaming. There's a, there's a social media place called Instagram and I call it shamegram, Instashame, where <laughs> everything, everything is, you know, you're putting up yourself up against an impossible So I just kind of go to Instagram every now and then I'm on it, but I don't do anything to shame other people. Thank you. (laughs) But but I just watch, wow, look at that. Look at that. Look at all the ways that I could pick up messages that would make my life a living hell, right? So what we do in this work is take those messages back out and renegotiate them or get rid of them completely, 
Right. And it's a part of sort of self-actualization to decide what what morals and ethics am I going to live by and have I chosen them freely? Or am I living by morals and ethics that were handed down to me? Or these, you know, absurd Instagram nonsense or or rules about getting done the first time and not being able to say that was a difficult driving exam. If you don't have any room to say that was difficult and I understand why I failed, if your shame is saying, no, you should have, you won't even hear, you won't even be able to say, okay, what I need to do is work on the questions or what I need to do is work on, do they do parallel parking in, in your exams? That's a nightmare. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they've got cars now that parallel park for you. It's so difficult to parallel park that we've got cars that do it for you. Carla, if you have problems with parallel parking, we've got that's one of our episodes. So listen out. I'll tag you in. (laughs) It is so hard to parallel park, right? If you get it wrong the first bit, you're gonna be like, dang it. And then there's people coming by and they're all, oh, it's hard. You're like, you know what? I'm going around the block. I'm just going around the block. I'm not gonna do this right now. So so you know, the to know what you need to work on. That would be a way that maybe the shaming message is when I fail at something, it is normal to feel upset about it. And then I'm going to figure out how I can do it better next time. That is a shaming message that would work. But the one that is everyone should do it the first time perfectly. That's that's unlivable, right? And so what happens for people is they think it's the shame's problem, right? Instead of this message that I picked up that my shame is now working on is a terrible, terrible mess and needs to go away. But look at all the things that my shame does that are really easy to live with, like be a nice person or floss your teeth or sort out the recyclables, right? There's lots of messages you can get to to manage your behavior that are completely livable. And then there are ones that come in from Instagram or parents or church or school that are just never going to work. Or, and that's or exactly say, what driving's I was easy, you know. Yeah, driving's easy. Why do you have trouble with it? Because I do, pal. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm a different person than you are. That's why. <laughs> I could so easily say parallel parking is so easy to do. Why can't you do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would say because there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> and it is those messages aren't. What you're saying is there's messages that you can choose to take on because that's my choice. I want to be kind to people. That's a message that you set up for yourself. But these other messages are very often, like you say, they're, they're from outside. They weren't messages that you chose. They were messages that came from friends, family, school, community, um, culture. Yeah. Social media, like you said, social media. So it's which ones have you chosen yourself or which ones have been forced upon you that are then making you feel this way? Yeah. I was also thinking about shame and anxiety. Anxiety is the emotion that helps you get things done, right? Shame is the emotion that helps you get them done well, right? There's there's some kind of message about I need to perform, I need to, that sort of thing. So when those two emotions get together and you don't realize that they have, it can be an intensely energized, forward-leaning emotion that's constantly telling you you need to do better. 
And that can just feel terrible. So it's really important to know, okay, shame's here. And what are the messages it's trying to give me? Are they livable? Right? So that can be a lot of what's going on. I call it um, in my book, Embracing Anxiety, I call it shmanxiety because it's shame and anxiety working together. And you want, when you do something, you want to do it well, right? You want to perform well, but if you've got, you know, sort of these monstrous shaming messages and way too much anxiety, it's just going to feel like an overwhelming situation. Yeah. And that definitely, that resonates. I'm sure that will resonate with our listeners. That really, I can, yeah, as soon as you said that, I'm like, yes, I can feel that. I really think that's what a lot of our listeners are feeling, that and without realising. So the two combined, shame and anxiety together, never quite being good enough. Because a lot of people also talk about imposter experience. So that's that's a similar sort of never quite feeling that you've achieved it. Even though you pass your test, we've had several people say, I thought, once I pass my dragon test, that would be it. I would be okay. And yeah. then they're not. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. So we we combine nervous and excited. So we talk about nerve-sighted, that idea of they're very similar feelings. When you're feeling nervous and when you're feeling excited, the sort of butterflies in the tummy can feel quite similar. And you can be both nervous and excited at the same time. So we do nerve sighted. So yeah, that's another one now. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of um, stage fright and actors know that the cure for stage fright, you never want to be completely calm going on stage because you'll be boring, right? You yeah. need to yeah. have that excitement energy. And yeah, it can tip over into anxiety and panic, right? Um, but I'm thinking about how Driving really is a public activity, right? You are, to a certain extent, you are on stage driving. You yeah. are you are being seen and you are now moving within this, you know, group of cars, all making these decisions together. I was just thinking about there was this traffic studies done here in the United States that showed that cars, they move like flocks of birds, and the car, like groups of cars begin to behave like a flock of birds. And that's um, why it's nice to be, what I was taught in driving was you want to be in the middle of two flocks. You don't want to be in the flock. So they call the middle person lone wolf, right? So I don't know why all the animals got on the, on the road. I don't know what's happening, but my favorite position is lone wolf, right? Because I have lots and lots of time around me to respond, but yeah. people in the little flock, if something goes wrong, a lot of those people are going to be involved in whatever happened, right? While I'll be back here just smoking a cigarette and reading a book. No, I won't. <laughs> but you realize it is you are on stage sort of when you're driving. People can see you. People have expectations of you. I don't know how many times you've been looking down and people honk behind you because you missed the light. Like, thanks. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's really interesting because when, when I teach people, I teach them to drive in space. And when I tell them that, it's like they look at me as if to say, What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, just give it a go. Just have a have a go at driving in space and see what you notice. Yeah. And make their feelings they get like it was so much easier. Yeah. You know, they, then, but they don't have that 
that thought process of I'm being studied by someone else. I'm just being able to be me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's quite interesting where you said like on stage or when you're driving is very similar. It's a public affair. Yeah. So what do people want to be seen as, you know, oh, when yeah. they're driving is quite interesting. Yeah. You realize, I don't know if you have this here, but there's a tradition called cruising here, especially with young men. They bring out their completely tricked out cars and their their arms like this. And they're driving <laughs> like they don't care. And I'm like, if you didn't care, why did you spend 19 hours cleaning that car yesterday, liar? <laughs> but th that's the thing is to make this completely tricked out car and then look like you don't care. Do you yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you do not have the me. image. <laughs> <laughs> I am not fooled, my friend. <laughs> so, Carla, before we start finishing up, when we first got in contact with you and said we wanted to talk about emotions around driving, was there anything that you thought, oh, I really want to talk about that? Anything that we haven't covered? I was just thinking about boundaries around your car, safety boundaries around your car. And the emotion of boundaries is anger. And anger is how you set boundaries. And a lot of people have been taught to sort of hate anger because many people set boundaries with violence, right? They, they're very unkind with it. But basically, it is just boundaries. So if you're feeling angry, something has crossed a boundary, so whatever boundary you have or whatever values. And how you respond to that is up to your emotional skills. So you could repress the anger and just never bring it up again. And then the person will continue to do it because they never heard otherwise, right? Or you could explode at them, right? Which is what most of us have experienced. Shut up! Or people honking their car, you know, their horns really loud. Duh! Okay. Um, but you can also do it in a respectful way. You can set a boundary in a respectful way. And that's what we mostly do in our cars, right? We don't drive up into somebody especially when there's bicyclists or motorcyclists. Um, if you've ever ridden a motorcycle, and I have, your boundaries are your skin and the tires, right? Mm. It is a very scary form of driving. And if people get too close to you, you feel very unsafe because you are, right? And you'll see motorcyclists pointing at you to say, you are too close to my back tire, right? You will see them moving around and getting away from you. But if someone sort of offends against us when we're driving, our sense of boundaries will be, what, offended against it, destabilized? Yeah. And so we may experience anger or sometimes here in the United States, road rage. Right? Yeah. Hey, too. Yeah. And we watch road rage to, to have some kind of anger come up is a natural response to having your boundaries stepped across. But because there's that danger in driving, it's real. Panic is also there. Anger does not have a fight mechanism in it. Panic does. So when people attack, they're in what we call panger. It's panic plus anger. Right? <laughs> so feeling angry when you're driving, when someone does something offensive, when they all of a sudden open a door and you have to go around them, you know, when they're parked and they open a door, like, thank dude. And, you know, and then you have to go around them. It's normal to feel angry for a while, but to be able to know what anger is will help not go up into road rage or fury or trying to, I'm going to go around the, 
corner and I'm going to hit their door this time. No, don't do that. That's not, that's not good. That's not a good idea. You can feel that way. But I look at, you know, when people are feeling rage when they're driving is that they feel they're afraid, right? Mostly they're afraid and it looks like they're tough and angry. I mean, here in the United States, people actually have guns in their cars. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the dream of our country right now. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I tend to speed because I love to, and I got caught twice. And if you get caught twice, they raise your insurance rates. So I had to take a course. So I did. And it was a really good course because it taught me a lot of things that I didn't know. I hadn't had a driver's course since I was younger. Um, And one of them is, I don't even think I ever learned this. You want to drive in such a way that no one has to slow up or speed down or avoid you because you've done something, right? So as I'm getting on the freeway and I cannot make it to 60, I have to do a lot to figure out how I'm going to make it so the people there don't have to slow down. And sometimes I'm just like, I'm sorry, this is all I can do, right? But that's been such an important thing for me since then is to just make sure nothing I do just accommodates another driver. And that's boundaries. It's also a really good shame message that I can live up to, hopefully, when I don't have to try to go 60 right away. But that my job is to be a peaceful influence in the drivers around me, right? Is to not make them have to swerve or speed up or do anything because of my presence. And that really helped me kind of more key in to the social nature of driving. See, I I love this because I'm probably a little bit different to most driver trainers, instructors. I play a lot of games. (laughs) (laughs) and there's always a reason behind it but one of the games i play is to see how many thank yous we can get while we drive exactly again you talk about the social element with driving that is exactly that if you is your your goal your outcome you want from this drive is for people to say thank you to you how do you drive in such a way that that happens yeah and, yeah. I, and I, I just think it's a, again, it's a different way of looking at driving that we don't tend to do. And I think with with the emotions there of the road rage, yeah. If people are going to say thank you to you, does that actually mean that you're going to have road rage? Probably not. You've yeah. you've decreased that risk, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You haven't frightened other drivers into sort of going over their capacity to manage their emotions, right? My husband. He's a lovely man. <laughs> he's lovely. <laughs> you would have him over to tea. But when he gets in the car, he's like, you know, like dogs who get in a car and all of a sudden they bark at you. Like they're normal dogs, but they get in a car. He's like that. And if he's driving in the fast lane, there's a rule here in the United States is if someone comes up on you, you must move over, even if they're going over the speed limit. Now, he does not believe in that. So he actually has like a fight with the person behind him. Tino, get over, get over Tino. But he's actually picking a fight 
with people on the road. I was like, I'm not driving with you anymore. You are out of control, friend. So people don't get thank yous. You know, he doesn't get thank yous for how he drives. He gets to screw you. <laughs> and he thinks I'm teaching these other drivers how to drive. I'm like, you're not teaching them anything, my friend. <laughs> I, was like, I hope you get tickets and you have to take that course that I took because, <laughs> because you are not behaving well. But it's more, I'm, I'm going to be very sexist right now. It's more of a masculine thing that I see here in the United States is, is there's a competition in driving about who can drive faster, who can do this better. I'm like, you're not happy right now. This is not making you happy. You're miserable. Look at me. Your face is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> love it. That's it's always interesting. We get people to talk about their driving experiences, and it's I just love this. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm ever in California, I know where I'm driving. It's like, yeah. yeah. You drive near me, you'll be fine. Oh, Carla, thank you so much for giving up your time this evening for us, this morning for you. We're really grateful. And I, I really do think it's going to be really helpful for people to listen in and just think about identifying their emotions, what are their emotions trying to tell them, and that I'm, that idea that emotions come together. They don't always, they're not always just one individual emotion. Often they, they come in pairs or threes or a gang even. So, and just trying to work out what it is that they're trying to tell you instead of trying to stop them. They can be helpful. They can be helpful. Yeah. And obviously we, in the show notes, we will have links to your website. So there's that fantastic vocabulary list on there and your blogs are incredibly helpful as well. There's information about each of the emotions on your website for people to have a look at. And then of course yeah. your books as well. So Embracing Anxiety. And then I'm holding on for the new revised edition of The Language of Emotions because that's been revised and coming out in June, I believe, isn't it? Yes, and it's on Amazon UK uh, to pre-order. Woo! That's great. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll have links to that. So this episode will be going out in June, so that will link in really nicely, and people won't have very long to wait until that revised edition comes out. So anybody who wants to learn more about emotions can take a look at your books. Thank you. It's been amazing, so thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Find out about the different ways that you can work with us on our website, www.confidentdrivers.co.uk and begin to transform the way you feel about driving.